All right, guys, we want to bring up another sponsor of ours. It is Kelsey Picker Realtor with Keller Williams Coastal Area Partners. And if you need to buy or sell property anywhere in the United States, go to kelseypicker.kw.com. And her information will be at the bottom of that page or reach out to us at any of our social media pages or our email, and we will be happy to put you in touch. <laughs> Who's that coming down the track? Who's that coming down the track? It's a mean machine in red and black. It's a mean machine in red and black. Ain't nothing butter in the land. Ain't nothing butter in the land. And a drunk obnoxious Georgia fan. And a drunk obnoxious Georgia fan. What's up, y'all? This is John, and Mike is joining me again tonight for another episode of the Nothing Finder podcast, but not just another episode. This is episode 50. Um, if you would have asked me, <laughs> Mike's throwing up gang signs on the other side. If you'd asked me when we started this thing in July if we would still be doing 50 episodes, I would have said no way, but... It's uh, it's thanks to you guys and everybody that talks to us and interacts on social media that we are still here doing this thing. But tonight we're going to talk about a few dogs doing some big things somewhat behind the scenes in the uh, sporting world. A few teams that have the potential and emphasis on potential to be better than they were this past season and uh, do a little bit of catch up on some spring sports. But before we get started, what are you drinking tonight? I am still doing water. I haven't had much uh, much alcohol since the Peach Bowl. Um, that, it kind of soured me for a little bit. Um, I, I drank enough to last me until like April. So trying to... At least until St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I got a couple I am I should be drinking water because I'm I'm uh going to the gym every day training for that four by four by 48 thing I'm doing um which if I haven't brought it up in the last couple episodes I'm doing a fundraiser for uh it's called team savannah for vets they help homeless veterans, disabled veterans, all kinds of stuff like that with housing, sometimes financial support, there's group outings. But I'm doing that four by four by 48, which is every four hours you do, you're supposed to run four miles, but my knees and back are way too fucked up for that. So I'm gonna do an hour worth of exercise every four hours for 48 hours straight. And, uh, and that's to raise money for that charity. So if you guys have not, um, and you are able to, the link to donate is on our Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. But if you don't have the ability to donate, please share it with your friends. Cause I'm trying to help these guys out. We, um, we are at 11% of our goal and it starts on March 4th. So really, truly anything will help. Um, and especially if that is just sharing it to your friends and family, but because I am irresponsible, I am drinking an Elijah Craig single barrel barrel proof tonight um, from Largo Beverage down in Savannah. Shout out Largo. It's um, 
nine years old and 126.1 proof, you know, cause I am irresponsible. And even though I'm going to get up and help like seven hours ish and go work out for an hour, I'm still going to, still going to drink a little bit. It's your spinach. I mean, you got to. You know, I will say the best PT test I ever took in the army, I was still drunk during the PT test. <laughs> you can't feel pain if you're still drunk. Fair, fair. The hangover is brutal, though, when you finish two miles, puke a little bit, and uh, and then all the alcohol exits your body. And then it's just like, here is a uh, brain-stabbing headache for the rest of the day. The first vomit is just from exhaustion. The rest of it's alcohol. It's yeah. Tasty. Yeah. It's like fire coming up your throat at that point. It was oh, a lot of a lot of poor choices were made. One of those was joining the army in the first place. <laughs> just to clarify, I tell people all the time: joining the joining the army was the worst thing I've ever done that I would voluntarily do again. So I don't regret it, but uh, my joints do. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to talk about these behind-the-scenes dogs is what we're calling it. Um, and really, over the last week, it's come to my attention that there are some damn good dogs that are doing some real big things in the sports, sports media, just that whole sporting world that I don't think get recognized as much as they should. Um, starting this one off, you've already read the outline, but if you hadn't, Todd Gurley, right? So, as we all know, phenomenal running back in Athens. 10th overall pick in 2015. 2015 Offensive Rookie of the Year. 2017 Offensive Player of the Year. Three-time Pro Bowler. Two-time All-Pro and the running back touchdown leader in 2017 and 2018. Did you know he owned uh, – he was part owner of the of a fan control football league team? No, that's news to me. Yeah, so he is part owner of the FCF Beasts, um, and this is just a wild group of owners here. You've got Marshawn Lynch. Marcus Peters, who – is Marcus Peters still in the NFL? Or did he retire? I feel like he is. I get, I thought so, too. Yeah. I, Ravens. Yeah. I, yeah, if he's still in the league, he's definitely with Baltimore with uh, our boy Todd Duncan. A former WWE wrestler named Miro and former WNBA star Renee Montgomery, they all own the team together. That's an uh, – Marshawn Lynch and Todd Gurley just seem like a whole party. Because oh, I've sure, heard yeah, stories about Todd in Athens that uh, that make me wish I was in Athens when he was still in school. And so Todd's teammate, the other half of Gershel, Keith Marshall – is the co-founder and CEO of the Player Lounge, where they are doing NIL deals and NFT collectibles. He does that with Aaron Murray. Aaron's kind of the front man of the operation there, but 
I mean, I think they're up to like 20 something schools they do NIL deals with and have NFTs and that sort of stuff, um, which is super cool. And uh, Heinz Ward, the one of the all-time great damn good dogs, two-time Super Bowl champion, one-time Super Bowl MVP, back when it actually meant something, is now the head coach of the XFL San Antonio Brahmas. And I do want to talk about this real quick because I have picked, I feel like all of Dog Nation should pick the Brahmas as their team being uh, Heinz Ward as a head coach. They got A.J. McCarron. Like, he does – he plays awful in the last two drives of the game. He's a Heisman contender next to no stats, doesn't play well, and then when they win, it's all his his job. Yeah, I went back and watched um, the last few minutes of it. I I recorded the game just like – I was going to go back and watch it because it was – Ellen, but like when you guys were talking about in the, uh, in the group chat, I, I I don't hate the rules for it. I mean, you know, you know, obviously they scored a touchdown, they get within what three, and then instead of doing an onside kick, they have to convert a fourth and fifteen, which they did, and then he uh, ended up scoring another touch, touchdown in the last few seconds for the win. So I mean, I mean about as compelling of an ending as you could uh, as you can ask for in this opening weekend. Yeah, no, I I really enjoy the game. And I also like how after a touchdown, you can do a one, two, or three-point conversion. Uh, I think that's I think that's really cool. And the, the kickoff is really interesting because the players are lined – all the players except for the kicker and the return man are lined up five yards apart. And nobody can move until the returner touches the ball. I mean, I think it's I think it's really interesting. I hope the NFL uses the XFL as like a is like a test league for like okay, if this rule works, maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about implementing it um, in the real time review process where the where the official is talking on TV about what he's seeing while he's looking at it. If every league had that, there would be a lot less complaining about the officials. Yeah, I mean, that happened early on in that very first game with, like, Arlington and uh, in Vegas, I think. Like, that was, I mean, that was so smooth. Like, it was it was gratifying to watch that. It wasn't that long of a review, and they, I mean, they knocked it out really quick. Um, right, and, and – Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. That uh, The kickoff return thing was interesting, too, because, like, you would think that – like they're like they're not lined up that far from each other, like the kick, you know, the kicking team and the receiving team. And uh, even with them not being that far off, and like you know having to wait till the returner actually catches it, um, there were still some decent returns um, brought back from you know the you know couple of kickoffs that I watched, and that was actually kind of surprising. But um, it was interesting. I liked it. it that definitely an interesting wrinkle. Wrinkle, and um, it would be it would be cool if the XFL was able to kind of. Re- they can reach some kind of agreement with the NFL and be a minor league type uh, system for them. So not, not quite college, but like that kind of middle ground for, you know, practice squad guys like, uh, like it was before, like, yeah, like it was before. That would be, that would be interesting. I think that's best case scenario for a uh, rock Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Especially if, um, especially if they're able to use it as a developmental league. I mean, Jack Cohn 
who I want to say he was at Wisconsin. It sounds right, yeah. One of those, one of those big team, big ten teams that doesn't know what offense is. He played really well, and it's like, man, if you'd have gone to a team that actually knew how to spell offense, you'd have been all right. And the kid, the guy, um, for the I watched like the first half of that, you know, like I was saying that Arlington game, like they, the quarterback that I think Arlington had was like Luis Perez, like I think he played with not even like a NCAA team, it was like an NIAA team, I think. And yeah, was, no, he was slinging it all over the place yeah, too. He was, he was, he was balling. It was a surprise. He had Artavius, what Artavius Bryant or whatever, and it's he had some guys yeah. in that team. And Cam Akers is on the uh, San Antonio team. Vic Beasley is out there too. <laughs> fucking, Vic Be- fucking Vic Beasley going from 15 sacks in what three or four years ago to being in the fucking XFL. Good for him. Vic Beasley, first round pick to the Atlanta Falcons because they love destroying their t- roster with poor draft picks. Didn't he also go on a social media rant when they decided not to pick up his option year on his contract? Yeah, and I think he did something to, like, sabotage himself. I think in, in, he went to Tennessee for a year after, and then he, he did something where he was basically unemployable or, or whatever, whatever it ended up being. I'd have to look at it. But he basically just acted his way out of the, out of the league. You know what? I I hope him the best. I I really do. I I like to make fun of people, but I I really hope that he can figure it out and get his way back to the NFL because that I mean when he was good, he was great. Yeah, he was. He was he was fun to watch that that one year. All right, before we get to this next segment and this was not planned, Shout out to Mike over there wearing his T-shirt he got from our website using our koozie. He's got his McConkie on his donkey shirt on. Yeah, see that? Got the trophies up there. Up there. Logo there. McConkie on his donkey. Yeah, on the back, the uh, actual call itself. Beautiful, man. Got the koozie there. Show the show the bottom of the koozie. That's my favorite part. One more. So the bottom of the koozie, for those of you that are listening, it says one more, but one is spelled W O N, and so it's like a triple entendre because they won more games than everybody else's past season, right? Well, I guess it's a double instead of a triple, and then. When you turn your drink up, you need one more. And they won more than anybody else the last two years. I mean. I don't know. How many entendres can you put on the bottom of the koozie? I, that was my favorite part. When I found out you could put stuff on the bottom of them when I designed it, I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Doing that. All right. So for this, we're calling it the, um, the puncher's chance teams. And this is, we both looked up stats, recruiting, all that kind of stuff, about three teams each um, that had meh or worse seasons last year that have the potential, once again, I'm going to emphasize potential to do better this year. 
And we are not by any stretch of the imagination saying that these teams will be better, but just that they could improve from last season to this season by a few games to a significant improvement. Um, and it was not planned out, but all of my teams are SEC teams. So oops on my part. I wanted to do some other teams, but the more I looked into it, the more I got talked out of them being much better than they were last year. <clears throat> All right. So Kentucky is my first team. And yes, I understand I was high on Kentucky last year. And I understand that I was very, very, very wrong. But the biggest difference between last season and this season Devin Leary. They don't have Will Levis. They have Devin Leary, who Devin Leary, I want to say when I looked it up, he was close to almost 7,000 passing yards in essentially three seasons at NC State. And I could not tell you a single wide receiver in the NFL, XFL, or college that played for the Wolfpack. So to me, that's saying something. Um. But Kentucky is also bringing back Liam Cohen. For those of you that don't know, Liam Cohen is the guy that was essentially single-handedly responsible for making Will Levis look like a good quarterback. Almost by himself. Will didn't do that on his own. No. No. Liam Cohen's offense was the best offense in recent memory in Kentucky, and that is all of Bob Stoops' tenure – Coach before him, probably the coach before him, all the way back to like the Tim Couch and Hefty Lefty days. The 2021 Kentucky offense was significantly better than everything else. Here's the downside, and here's what made me question it a little bit. Kentucky is 73rd in the country in Bill Connolly's stat for returning production. But of that 63% of the 71%, or, no, 71% of the 63% is on the offensive side of the ball. And that is a big deal because Kentucky's defense last year was not the problem. I mean, we all remember what they did to Georgia's offense. They slowed down everybody last year, with the exception of Tennessee when they were fully healthy. So defense, not the issue. I, I have very few questions about the defense. It was the offense. And they've got, what, they started two freshman wide receivers last year that balled out Dane Key and Barry on Brown, both really good wide receivers for them last year, both freshmen or uh, sophomores. And the biggest question about Kentucky last season, I think what held them back from being a good team was the offensive line. They got two offensive line transfers this season, a four-star from Alabama and a starter from Northern Illinois that surprisingly puts out a lot of NFL talent on the offensive line. So those are the reasons that I think Kentucky has a better chance of being 9-3, and 10-2 than – seven and six like they were last season. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Am I wrong? That. No, I, I mean, I can definitely see that. Uh, 
Devin Leary, I mean, I totally forgot that he was that he transferred over there because I was thinking about the uh, the quarterback that transferred to Notre Dame. Um, like that was like the big the big catch. Sam Hartman. Uh, yeah, there we go. Um, another Wake Forest guy. You know how well they uh, they turn out when they transfer, right? Go to oh yeah, man. I am going to be checking Notre Dame message boards hard two weeks before the season. I think I think Jamie Newman's in the CFL now, if I'm not mistaken. I think I thought I saw him whenever they when the, whenever they were playing last. I think I could be wrong, but I can see I can see Kentucky. Um, I can see them doing that with an, a competent quarterback that's not Will Levis, that's you know super overrated. Um, for 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 uh, Larry to you know, do what he did at NC State, like you said, them not having any like really name. Name, not name brand, but name like receivers anybody can really name off the top of their head. Like, you did a hell of a job. So I can, I can, I can see that. I thought about them for a minute, but I went with a different Kentucky team when we get to uh, when we get there. All right, guys. So my second team is Ole Miss. I know a lot of people are thinking Ole Miss was nine and four last year. How are they supposed to get better? So here's the thing. Their schedule was extremely backloaded. They didn't play essentially any team in the SEC with a heartbeat until week eight when they got curb stomped by LSU. I mean, they started 7-0. They lost their first game the same day as Tennessee, Tennessee beat Alabama. So at that point, everybody was like, oh, Ole Miss might make it to Atlanta, Right. Uh, wrong. They lost five of their next seven games after starting 7-0. Jackson Dart, as much as I don't like to rip on players that much, he was he was um he was not good. He just wasn't good. And it's so it's hard for Jackson Dart. And I say that, I mean, he is in one of the best quarter or most quarterback friendly offenses in college football. Yes. Jackson Dart was the guy after the guy. He tried to be Matt Corral. And sometimes it's hard for Matt Corral to be Matt Corral. I mean, you could hit Matt Corral in the head with a sledgehammer, he'd get up and throw a 50 yard bomb. Like, there are very few people on the planet that could take the beating that he did and still play well. And not only that, he was the perfect quarterback for Lane Kiffin's system. He can take a beating, get yards on the ground, throw the ball extremely well. But that's not Jackson Dart, right? Like, he that's, that's not him. The good news for the Landshark Bear Rebels out there, um, they got two quarterback transfers this year, Spencer Sanders and Walker Howard. They are both going to be wearing the powder blue next season. And in my opinion, I think Spencer Sanders is going to be that starter just because you're not, you don't transfer as an upperclassman unless you're told that it's your job. Um, and if you guys have listened for any length of time, Y'all know I love Spencer Sanders. Like, I am upset 
that Ole Miss is going to be in Athens this year with Spencer Sanders probably at quarterback because I'm going to have to cheer against him. Like, I I truly love the way he plays football. But he was able to do pretty incredible things at Oklahoma State with a significantly less talented roster. And to emphasize that, I looked up the 247 team talent composite ratings. Ole Miss is 22nd in the country, and Oklahoma State is 40th. So that is a significant difference in talent. Ole Miss has quite possibly the best returning running back in the country coming into his second season in college in Quinshaw Judkins. They got Malik Heath, Michael Trigg. Both of them are coming back for the 2023 season. The question for Ole Miss since Lane Kiffin took over has been the defense, though, right? They're returning 62% of their defensive production from last season, and they have added seven defensive players through the transfer portal this year. Seven. And a lot of them were four-star guys coming out of high school, a lot on the defensive line, a lot on the back in the defensive backfield. I think Ole Miss's defense is going to be improved enough for Ole Miss. And Ole Miss is kind of like the caveat because they won nine games – 10 wins in a season for them is like peak of their fandom. I think if they can win 10, including a bowl game, and be competitive against like a LSU and, you know, the teams like that this year, I think that will be considered a win for them. If they can be competitive against Alabama, especially with their beefed up defensive line, um, I think that'll be a big improvement especially since we've all seen Alabama's weakness on the offensive line this past year, past two years. And uh, not to mention that, if they're planning on running Jalen Milrow out at quarterback, it's going to be a long year for Alabama fans. You're going to have a bad time. <laughs> so the only, not- the only pushback I have on, on Ole Miss is that, you know, like you said, I mean, the seven defensive players coming through the transfer portal is huge, but – do you remember who's coaching them? I don't Fucking remember their defensive coordinator. Eagle. Oh. Oh, I forgot he went to Ole Miss. He was stole it. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody uh-huh. in Alabama was like, oh, no, please don't. No, don't go. Oof. But, I mean, it's it's got to be better than, than what it was – you know, the last the last few years with uh, with Ole Miss. I mean, even it, it's got to be. I mean, I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. it being worse. So, I mean, it it can be an improvement. I mean, I can definitely yeah. see them. Like you said, ten. I mean, 10, 11 wins. I think isn't isn't out of the question. I mean, they play out when I was looking at stuff earlier because I thought about Ole Miss as well, and they. Uh, they play Georgia Tech. They they have a they don't have much going on in the uh, in the uh, in the uh, uh, out of conference. Non conference. Yeah, um, I think I want to say. Do they? I don't know if you remember. I don't have it pulled up. Do they play Tulane? Oh, that's a good question because Tulane is a very good team. But like, what are they returning though? Because like, I was kind of looking at that, and then I kind of settled on what I ended up settling on. But they I mean, play. Tech, 
I think they play at two. Yes, they play at Tulane in week two. Going down to Nola. Oh, they're dead. (laughs) It'll be interesting to see what Tulane is bringing back. So I, I have no idea. I, I did no, no Tulane prep whatsoever. So I didn't either. I mean, but Tulane beat USC. So and Pete Golding probably won't do too much Tulane prep either. So you never know. Hey, Pete Golding is when the standard is perfection and you fall short, you're still doing something. And something, anything is better than what Ole Miss has had at uh at at defense for the last few years. Oh. So for yeah, it's got to be better, right? Like it can't be much worse. And if they won nine games with an awful defense, what's saying they can't win 10 with a better defense? Especially, I mean, Oklahoma State won a lot of games with no defense because Spencer Sanders was a quarterback. To me, Spencer Sanders is like the equalizer for their defense being bad. And... It's possible that I'm way too high on Spencer Sanders, but I hope not, except for that game in Athens. Yeah. All right. So last of my teams, and probably least, just going to throw it out there, Texas A&M. And the Aggies were finally able to stop the eight and four jokes this past year. Um, but all they did is turn that on his head and go four and eight with a the high or the high point of their season was beating LSU. The closest other high point of the season was almost beating Alabama question mark. I, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of teams that's high point is almost beating Alabama, but it's still I mean, for what you paid for that recruiting class to go eight and four is fairly embarrassing. Big time. All right. So a big reason that I think Texas A&M can be better this year is because they're not running Jimbo's offense anymore. And that is 100% a dig at Jimbo Fisher and his offense. When you have when you have to flip through a cheesecake factory menu to find the play you want to call, you're not doing it right. Especially when you're running out three true freshmen on offense. Very talented true freshmen, but if you're running out three true freshmen on offense and you got to flip to page six of your playbook, it's your fault. It's 100% your fault. It's definitely opposite of them, like, you know, like God rest his soul, Mike Leach, only what he only had, like, what, six plays, but he had, you know, a shit ton of, like, variations and different things he could do off of those yeah. six plays. It's, it's, yeah, it's the opposite. It's, and the other thing about Jimbo, that motherfucker talks way too fast for where he's from. <laughs> like, he, like, not only does he have a shit ton of plays, he, you can't understand half of what he's saying. So, because he's doing it way too quick. Yeah. No, I, if I, 
if we ever get like a negative comment about the podcast and they're saying like they can't understand what we're saying or anything like that, I just listen to a Jimbo Fisher press conference and think, I'm not so bad, you know? He, he throws out so many words and like he's just hoping that something sticks. Uh, so, and some of the he, words I'm not convinced he knows what they mean. No. Especially I'm truly not convinced. He was doing the, the commentary for the, the you know, Georgia and Bama national championship two years ago or last year or whatever. It, it was just so quick. It, I mean, you can understand half the shit he was saying. He, he seemed confused while he was doing it. So I guess that's his strategy is just talk really fast and hopefully something sticks and you think, you assume that he knows what he's talking about. So, the problem with it no longer being Jimbo Fisher's offense, maybe a problem, maybe not, we'll see, is that it is Bobby Petrino's offense. (laughs) So, you know, hopefully it's not one of those things where it's what, out of the kettle and into the fire. Hopefully it's not one of those. Hopefully. Um. You know, but the thing is, it's going to make great television. Yeah. I think we talked about that before. I think they need, like, like they had, like, a behind-the-scenes series, like, this past year, and it was fucking hilarious, like, watching them lose to, like, App State and whatnot. But they need that again, just have Jimbo and Bobby and then, uh, what's his, um, the defensive coordinator? Um, DJ Durkin. DJ, DJ Durkin. Yeah, I mean, it, literally my next sentence is, if those two can manage to get through the season without killing each other or DJ Durkin accidentally killing them. <laughs> and slaughtering somebody on the team. They, they could be better, you know? And I'm going to be 100% honest with you guys. A&M has too much talent to go 4-8. and eight. They really do. And that that's kind of the driving factor of why I think A&M can do better. They're seventh in the country in returning production at 80%. 80% of their production from last season. Not their team, their production. I know a lot of people are confused by that, considering all the transfers. The guys that transferred weren't starters. Outside of Smoke Bowie on the defense. Like, they lost a couple offensive guys to the draft, but everyone else that left was a backup 80 80 percent they got to do better than four and eight right they got to i mean their their schedule i don't know what to make of it yet because obviously we still have a whole nother you know transfer period after spring ball but they do have to go to miami and who who knows what the fuck's going on with them because they just fired their offensive corner that won the Royals award a year ago um, they, oh, uh, Michigan two, man! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, homeboy got he got mad because during that whole Jim Hawk the first time Harbaugh flirted with the NFL, they didn't like guarantee him that he would be the coach if he had left. So you know he got in his feelings and dipped, which the offense looked even better without him there. So deuces, but um, yeah, at Miami they have to. They have Alabama at home. They have to go to Knoxville the week after Alabama, which – I was just you know, looking Alabama. at that. That's tough. Yeah. 
that I, that's just, and they, then they finished the year at LSU. So I think they can be better for sure. I mean, they at least six wins. I can't imagine if it's less than six wins the following off season or like that whole, you know, the whole lead up to it will, will be probably more fun than the actual shit they put on the field. Yeah. No, I think, I think a minimum of seven wins because there's a couple toss up games here and there. I think a minimum of seven wins and especially they're bringing back Connor Wegman, which if they would have started him from week one, they may not have lost eight games this past season. Let's just be honest. And Anaya Smith has been in college longer than Stetson Bennett and somehow found an, another year of eligibility. They got the true freshman who was their best receiver last year, Evan Stewart, and a guy that's more physically gifted than Evan Stewart and Moose Muhammad all coming back this year. They signed a five-star running back, number three running back in the country, flipped from Louisville to A&M, Reuben Owens. And not the defense was good enough to hold Bama to 28 points, almost beat them. Granted, that was with Jalen Milrow. So let's, you know. It's even more impressive that, they, that Bama was able to score 28 points with Jalen Milrow. That's fair. That gets lost. That's fair. You know, just full context there. But they did beat LSU with a fully full-strength LSU team. Got multiple turnovers in that game. Beat the hell out of Jaden Daniels. And the only – so the biggest thing about their defense is they lost Smoke Bowie, right? But he wasn't a full-year starter. So, I mean, do I think a and is going to win the West? No. Do I think they're going to be second in the West? Probably not. Do I think they can be competitive with the other, you know, like B-tier teams in the West? I think so. And I, I think if um, I think if the unguided missile Joe Milton's not on his game in, against Texas A&M, I think that game could possibly be won because I I will trust Tennessee's defense when they don't give up a stupid amount of points to every good team they play, or South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, it'll, I mean, South Carolina. South Carolina ran out of fireworks because they scored so much on Tennessee's defense. They need to hang a rafter like for that, right next to all the scorier shit they have, like on the stairs, the ramps there or whatever. This <laughs> November 2022 ran out of fireworks because we kicked the shit out of Tennessee. Beautiful. You know, so, I'll um I'll talk to Chris Phillips and see if he can see if he can talk to his people at the athletic department. Like, can we just flag or something like get, get something because I mean that was a hell of a night for all of us all of us that you know the sickos that for the other 13 fun. teams in the SEC that was an amazing day except for except for when Hendon Hooker got hurt yeah because if you have yeah. if you haven't listened to us very much I hate injuries I hate them so like I truly do not care who it is I hate injuries because you derail a person's, in some situations, entire life. I hate him. But Tennessee still got their ass kicked, and Hooker wasn't making a difference in that game. 
and that happened at the end of the game too. So like, I mean, if it would have happened, it was like third quarter. Yeah. So like, they they at that point, I don't think he would have made that big of a difference. But still, it sucks that he went down in that situation. But yeah, I mean, next man up, unfortunately. Also, I just want to uh, quick little sidebar here. Google Docs auto-corrected smoke buoy to smoke bougie. You know what? If he if he makes enough plays, I'm off to start calling him that. Yeah, you know what? Petition to change his name to Smoke Bougie. Sounds like a sounds like a SoundCloud rapper. Smoke. <laughs> he might be shit. I mean, go. If it's not, it's gonna be after this comes out. All right, Mike. We're ready. We're ready for your teams. All right. So I went kind of a different route um, with mine a little bit. I was thinking about like first I started thinking about the transfer market and what what some of the you know power five teams were able to bring in, um, you know, compared to you know what obviously what they had and what they you know what was going out of the portal going out of the program. And just like I, I try to go like as low as we can, like the worst of the Power Five teams are like you know, arguably the worst ones. And because like you know we talked about with A and M, I mean there's only one way to go up. So the first team that I started with was, and I really didn't initially when I when we started talking about doing this you know, segment, wasn't on my mind, across my mind, but uh, Colorado and the uh, Fighting Deons, uh, Deion Sanders team. Uh, so. Uh, Colorado has the number one ranked transfer class, and you know, according to uh, on three, he, two, of his, two of his biggest guys coming in as his son, of course, uh, Shadur Sanders, a uh, high three star reevaluation from them, and then of course, how did he only four, get a three star reevaluation? It, I, I don't get it, uh, and I think I want to say when I was looking at that, I want to say it was like the uh, the on three consensus one. They might they may have had him higher than that, but like the way it broke down, I think like his his grade was like in the low 80s or something like uh, low to mid 80s. So like he was close to a four star. Um, but uh, you got him coming in, who's probably I would assume would be the starting quarterback, and then of course former five star plus wide receiver, cornerback combo Travis Hunter, and you know from that. And like just going from like high school recruits, obviously Dion was able to make a, an impact there at Jackson State, having you know bringing in the number one recruit in the class last year in Travis Hunter. But um, in his first you know couple of weeks at Colorado, Dion was able to bring that recruiting class from the mid fifties all the way to thirty third, which you know seventeen you know, spot jump it is pretty sizable. It's good for six in the Pac twelve, which I think would be like what thirteenth in the SEC maybe last I think, <laughs> probably I, no, I think I, I i shit you not i think vandy is like in the 20s like or something like that or right around where colorado is at um but uh but so i, mean, I do that, want to stop you real quick yeah 247 has sugar sanders as a four star in their okay. composite okay so I'm not trying to say you're wrong. I just it, – it shocked me, and I had to – Yeah, I had to check it. Did it say, like, what his, like, his his score was for? Because I don't know where the cutoff is for, like – I mean, I guess everybody's different, but – Yeah, so 
247 composite has him four star point nine one two six. Yeah, he was like a yeah, I want to say he was like in the mid eighties for, for on three. But I mean we know that he's he he played better than what his even his reevaluation was. Oh yeah. But um so like we were talking about with uh, with your stuff, schedule wise, they uh, they have a pretty brutal schedule, all things considered. Um, keep in mind that this team won one game, one single game last year. So literally, all they can go and do is go up, right? Well, like a, well, <laughs> they could go down one. Yeah, if it <laughs> if it just totally explodes and just and just blows up in Dion's face. Um, Maybe, but I mean, I just the I'm amount of you, we're, yeah. we are on Colorado checkbook watch because they still don't have the money to fulfill his contract. Are you serious? Oh yeah, when they hired him, they didn't have the money to pay him. Jeez. Their their president said something about the boosters will open their checkbooks when they find out we hired Dion. Bought him Dion pulls a Jamie Newman two weeks before the season. They still haven't paid him any dips. He's like, shit hasn't direct deposit hasn't occurred yet. Bye. Um, um so anyway, with their schedule, like I said, their schedule's pretty brutal. They start week one at TCU. They have to go to Fort Worth for that, which you know, who knows what you're getting with TCU after you know the beatdown in the national championship game. But I can't imagine them taking like a sizable, sizable step back after you know what we saw. I mean, they lost their offensive coordinator to Clemson. Mm-hmm. It could. I mean, it could. It could happen. I mean, I mean still have Sony Dykes as a head coach. Yeah, they'll they'll be fine. Now, are they national championship caliber? Probably not. But again, I mean, they weren't last year either. Know. But no, no, no. Thank you, USC, for blowing against Utah twice. <laughs> um, but so start at TCU. Uh, week two, they, uh, they're at home against Nebraska, which I'll talk more about in a minute. Uh, week four at Oregon. Week five at home against USC. Uh, overall, I think, I think their floor is six wins. Like, I can't, I can't imagine that with the, the talent that Dion was able to bring into the transfer portal and uh, some you know, recruits and not that, you know, freshmen are going to play all that much. Hopefully not. But – the talent that he brought in, the volatility of Pac-12 football, you don't know what you're getting for half of the league. I do think they're going to go bowling at, at a minimum. Uh, and I also fully expected for Dion to get more transfers after – or, you know, during the April transfer portal period after spring ball. And you know, I think he can work wonders after, you know, he actually has like, more time to establish himself in, uh, in Boulder. And uh, like I was saying, initially – I started off unimpressed with the hire because, you know, he was, you know, dominating, you know, HBCU football, which, you know, while, while entertaining and all that, it's not at the Power 5 level. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. But, um, like I said, they're half, half of the game is talent acquisition, and Deion's been killing it his first two months in Boulder, and then, obviously, at Jackson State when he was there for you know, the time that he was there. Um, like, again, like I was saying, there's nowhere to go up for – Nowhere to go but up for a team that went one eleven last year, and it's pretty much uncompetitive this entire decade. Uh, this entire decade, and realistically, they've been an afterthought. Afterthought since the early to mid nineties when uh, Cordell Stewart, you know, chucked up that hail mary in Ann Arbor and uh, 
and ruin that uh, that Michigan team's dreams. Um, and on their way to a, a you know, national title, split with uh, Georgia Tech that year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'll be honest, man. Colorado did not even cross my mind, and I don't know why. Um, it's because everything because they're so bad. I mean, like it, one win, one win. I mean, you schedule. I don't. I, I guess. I mean, they play. They only play three out of conference games, but one win is almost impressive. It, it, yeah. Uh, I suppose it's impressively bad. Who do they even beat? Wasn't it an FCS team? It had to. Be. It had to be. You know, I'm curious. But it, it's disgusting. Like I don't. Yeah, I don't even know how that works. So they beat Cal, actually. Oh well, basically an FCS team, so that works. But, yeah, I mean, they gave up 41 points to Air Force. That that is the extent of my Colorado slander. Because if you give up forty one points to an academy, you're not you're not doing football right. Well, it didn't didn't Air Force win the uh, Commander in Chief Trophy? They did. You know so, when all you when all you have to do is sit on the computer and practice football instead of you know work on actual war fighting skills. It's real easy. Nerds. Um, uh, yeah. So. That was uh, that was Colorado. All right, so next one, and again, I didn't initially think of them either, um, but uh, Wisconsin and uh, Luke Fickle coming in there after a uh, after a disappointing year last year. Um, so of course, Luke Fickle came in from uh, Cincinnati, just you know, two years removed or two seasons removed from making a college football playoff appearance, being the first Group of Five team to make it. Although now they're going to be a, a power five team this year, but uh, last season Wisconsin went seven and six and fired their coach during the season. Uh, their transfer rank, uh, transfer class ranks according to On Three, six in the country with a net improvement. So if you're looking at the score, the uh, the talent leaving the program, and the talent coming in, it was a net gain of ten. So like it was seven, like the average recruit was ranked as a seventy-eight coming in. And average group is a 68 league. So that should be an improvement. Uh, they brought they brought in two quarterbacks to fight for that job. Uh, um, t- uh, Taylor Mordecai and uh, Nick Evers. Uh, Mordecai was from SF, uh, SMU. Nick Evers was, of course, from Oklahoma. A couple of high four-star guys. From on three, their consensus, consensus quarterbacks uh, ranking that way. Um, to take over for the immortal... Graham, uh, Graham Mertz, which again, y'all listen to, you know, obviously watch SEC football and hopefully you're aware because I thought this shit was hilarious that Graham Mertz, Mertz, keep saying Mertz, Graham Mertz is going to be the savior down there in Gainesville this year. I thought it was meme when it first got shared. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I didn't <laughs> buy it. I was like, there's no way Florida picked up Graham Mertz. When Sam Howell and um, Devin Leary were out there, and uh, you know, I guess I guess they didn't have any money to give him if they were going to give Jalen Rashad a thirteen million. So they didn't even give Jalen Rashad a thirteen million. Is a funny thing. Yeah, they just they, they just earmarked him like, oh fuck, I guess we have to give it to Graham Graham Marks, which 
Graham Mertz was a highly regarded quarterback. I think he was – I want to say he was a high four-star. I don't think he was – he may have been a five-star, if I remember correctly. He was probably the best quarterback recruit that they've had um, ever, like not counting Russell Wilson because he obviously transferred there from, uh, from NC State. But, and Graham Mertz, in his first game, had five touchdowns. He yeah, went yeah. out of his mind and then had like 12 touchdowns the rest of his career at Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh, shit, we can't throw the ball. This is not what we do here. No, no, we're running back. Athleticism, negative. Oh, no. no, we're we're all a bunch of dairy farmers up here. We, we, don't, we don't do the fun and gun shit. Um, but so, you know, Mertz is going down there in Florida to save that program. So that should be fun. I'm sure he'll do, hell, he might do better than Anthony Richardson. Who knows? Um, hey, Anthony Richardson was projected today as being number one overall pick. And I laughed my ass off when I saw that. Like, who, <laughs> who the hell was saying that? Why? Like, his agent. His agent is saying that. You know, people, people are saying Bringing him in for interviews. They want to spend an early pick on him. Eventually, number one. The Bears might fucking do it. They might have run a, a two-quarterback system with Fields and Richardson there. Who the fuck knows? Yeah, two quarterbacks that run much better than they pass. Let's just – we'll just run a wing tee with only quarterbacks. <laughs> you know what? They might do it. I mean, the Bears are the, Bears are the worst. I think uh, that's well-established with anyone that's listening to me talk about that. Even <laughs> even worse than the Lions, which is incredible to say at this point. Um, but going back to uh, Wisconsin, so what was that? So uh, transfer wise, they did bring in former USC receiver CJ Williams, who's a former four star recruit. Which again, Wisconsin does not get that kind of talent at skill positions. So that could be something to, to look for. Could be. Um, and as far as their schedule goes, it makes Georgia's look difficult this year, like in comparison. The, the only game that Wisconsin probably will be underdog in is at home against Ohio State in late October, uh, October 28th. And possibly at Washington. Actually, they probably will be since Penix is back. I was about to say, Washington is a – I like Washington to win the Big 12 next year – Pac-12 next year over USC. Ooh, ooh, that could be good. Penix kicked the shit out of uh, the last Big Ten team he played when they, uh, well, in the regular season they played. I think Michigan State went out there last year and just they just whooped them, um, just like just like he did when he was at Indiana. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so okay, so two two games where they're going to be underdogs against Ohio State and then Week Two against Washington, assuming everybody's healthy. Um, Out-of-conference games, uh, Buffalo, not the Bills, but the uh, Buffalo Bulls, uh, Washington State, at Washington State, I should say, and, of course, uh, Georgia Southern, which which I'll get into a minute, in a, well, a couple of minutes. Can't discredit them. Can't count them out. Never sleep on the Eagles. No. Never. Get after that ass. That's all they do. Um, but... Um, Expectation-wise, I can see them being a nine-win team as a four. This, the Big Ten West is disgusting. It's, in my opinion, it's the worst division in college five football. And I, I really don't want to hear any other argument for anybody else. I mean, they, 
they're atrocious. So what are the odds that when UCLA and USC go to the Big Ten, they get put in the Big Ten East just because they just they want the Big Ten East to be nothing but powerhouses. I mean, that's the way they set it up. I mean, I think I want to say you guys talked about it last week when they had the leader, leaders and legends division because they they had a good idea in theory to split up Michigan on one side and then Ohio State on the other. I don't remember for the life of me who was what a lead, leader or, or a legend. I don't. Know I mean, neither means. are really. Neither are either. <laughs> really? I mean, it, it, I mean, you're going to sit here and tell me that Northwestern's a fucking legend? <laughs> like, I, I don't... I don't USC, think, I, yeah. USC plays in the Big Ten East and has to fly to Rutgers for a game. <laughs> in, like, November. Like, that's, that's what we're all here for. Like, we want to see that. Um... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do that. I'm. I'm kind of hoping they go divisionless, just like I want SEC to go divisionless. But we'll, we'll see. They they have to they have to say that pretty soon. I would assume at media days, right? That's a great question. I uh, I honestly think, as far as the SEC goes, they may because they put the schedule out in September. I really think the SEC might just like drop their nuts in September and be like, here's a plan no one knows until today. Yeah. That'd be cool too. But um but like I said, uh floor being nine wins, I could see an eleven eleven win season if everything kind of goes according to plan. Realistically, I think ten is what's gonna happen. Um, they're not gonna beat both Ohio State and Washington. They probably won't beat either of them. But um ten wins is Kind of what I expect with them. Uh, Fickle, besides his, you know, his first audition, uh, filling in for Urban Meyer. Uh, well, not filling in for Urban Meyer. Uh, filling in for uh, uh, Jim Trussell after the Tattoo Gate thing. Uh, he had a <laughs> shitty year at Ohio State that year. Um, that was before you know, two years ago. That was the last time Michigan had beaten Ohio State when they were decimated. Everybody got thrown off the team. Um, but. Um, he didn't do so hot in, in that position, but obviously he's grown, he's matured. I mean, that was shit over 10 years ago. Um, but I think that that he can do it. Just, you know, being, again, two years removed from being um, from being in the playoff with Cincinnati of all, of all teams. Yeah, no, I I I also thought about Wisconsin until, until you said you wanted to talk about them. The question for me is, can they – can the quarterbacks figure it out before they go out to Washington? Yeah, one week. Yeah. And Taylor Mordecai is a phenomenal quarterback. I I thought he did really well at SMU. If I were making the odds, I would put him slightly ahead of Nick Evers to win that starting job, but – it all depends on the, the skill talent they have because Wisconsin's got offensive line. They got defense that they're set on that, but I think their skill talent is really going to be the deciding factor. It will be interesting to see because like they outside of running back. I mean, they've met, I mean, they've never recruited, you know, top tier quarterbacks, of course. I and mean, this is probably the two best, this is probably the best quarterback room they've ever had. Um Yeah. And, you know, receiver-wise, I mean, they haven't thrown – they, you know, until Graham Ertz, you know, had that, you know, 
nice game, you know, a couple years ago. Like they, they, they never threw the ball. So it, it will be interesting to see. It's going to be a radical change. And it will be interesting to see if, if the, you know, the dairy farmers out there will be on board with it to see you know, how radically different it, it could be. I'm thinking they will. I think they'll be fine with it. They want to see modern football by all accounts. So it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm really interested to know if Wisconsin knew the forward pass was legal. It's the, oh God, they did so well with the running backs, though, you know, like Ron Dane and obviously Melvin Gordon. Uh, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor, yeah, sure. I mean, they, besides for Georgia and, you know, besides for Georgia, I mean, they, they have a good argument for RBU. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd still, I'd still say Georgia, of course, obviously. But they, they, got, a, they got a good, uh, good argument, a strong argument. So, um, All right. Now, now is time for your hardest argument. Like I had my hardest argument at the end. So, this is another one. Like I, it was last minute. Like the ones, the ones that like going into this, I thought about. I thought about. I thought about Georgia Tech for a minute because they how of how strong they finished last year. Um, that could put in this spot, and I thought about Ole Miss, like we talked about, or like you talked about before, but. I'm going here. I'm going with Nebraska and uh, Matt Rule. And again, initially, you know, on the surface, like Matt Rule is a, he's a program builder, right? He doesn't necessarily win right away. Like he, he struggled at first at Temple, he struggled at first, and like, you know, you know, some of the worst conditions or situation that you can think of when he took over at uh, Baylor a few years ago. But I think that he'll be able to turn it around fairly quickly. So uh, the Huskers, they finished last season four and eight and fired Scott Frost um, after he lost to your Georgia Southern Eagles at home. Um, and that was a phenomenal game to watch. It was. I was listening to that on our way back from the, um, the, uh, the Sanford game that, you know, that, that, we, uh, that we saw each other at. And I was online at Taco Bell when it happened, and like the local bro- radio broadcast was going eight shit. Like that was that was fun. Like I I was I was cheering. I was pissed and all that. I was happy for him. I was at. We were at. Um, I may have said this on the show right after it happened. We were at one of our friends' houses in Athens. She's actually in the uh, doctoral program for neurological sciences at Georgia. Yeah, super smart. I I don't understand half the words that come out of her mouth. But um, her and her boyfriend, also they both went to Georgia Southern. So we were in Athens at their house drinking. I think we were playing cards or something. And it went nuts when Georgia Southern beat Nebraska. That was awesome. And it was a fun game, too. I mean, that was a high-scoring affair. Like, I mean, Georgia Southern just started passing the ball, you know, doing, then doing forward passes, like, two weeks, three weeks prior. <laughs> yeah, no, so, that, when I'm doing yeah. my 4 by 4 by 48 I will rewatch that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fun. I, I think I ended up recording that just because I thought, oh, you know, it, wouldn't it be funny if Georgia Southern pulled it off? And it was. It was. Um, it was very fun. <laughs> um, but... Um, like I was saying, so they lost to Georgia Southern at home, and, and, uh, and Scott Frost was subsequently fired. Like I said, Georgia Southern, who, who had only been running a modern offense for approximately three weeks before that game, 
uh, got him. So with Nebraska, the cover wasn't exactly bare, especially in the Big, uh, especially in the Big Ten West. The previous four cycles averaged 26 best in the country, which, again, it's not going to win you national championships. It's not going to, it's not going to get you, you know, like realistic conversation to be like a Big Ten threat, especially again how the divisions are set up now. But um, their undoing last year was Scott Frost didn't realize that he can make in-game adjustments. Like after the first 15 play script, he was lost. That's all he thought he had to do was just do these first 15 plays on offense, and that was it. And it would just take care of itself. Everybody would be overwhelmed. Turns out that's not how football works. Um, but um, and it was always so funny, like him, like listening to him talk about, like, oh, we weren't prepared for that. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about you weren't prepared for? Like, this is literally your job. You're the highest paid person in, in Nebraska. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Right. <laughs> it's it, it's a, a surprise that he lasts as long as he did. But it really is. When I find out, when, like, when people say he was there from the 2018 season to the 2022 season, I'm like, are you, are you sure? Are you, yeah. Are you 100%? He fired in 2021. At worst. Yeah. He lost in fucking Ireland to start the year. No, he lost in Ireland LA. this year. No, no, that, that's why I'm not. Um, who, uh, Northwestern. 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 <laughs> Legend. Um, but. Uh, so, you know, obviously he got fired. So you're insert Matt Rule, who, like I talked about before, is known for building up programs like Temple and Baylor. Uh, the transfer the transfer class isn't really anything to write home about. Uh, if I if I remember correctly, I thought he got hired even like later than uh, than Fickle and like, like others in that cycle. Like, yeah, no, it, it was late. I want to say it was January. Yeah, so he he didn't he, realistically re- recruiting high school kids. He didn't have a shot. Not, not at Nebraska, no. not this early in the second No, I want to say it was right before New Year's because they talked about it on college game day before the playoffs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, he had he had more time than Dion, though. But he's not – I mean, it was still after the – it was still after early signing day. I mean, that's a huge – Yeah, that's one huge most loss. of your blue guys sign or commit. Um, but, like I said, it's nothing to write home about his – uh, transfer class is thir- uh, 30th in the country, according to on three. But he does have a favorable, favor- favorable, if I can say it, schedule this year uh, for the most part. So they start off on the road against against Minnesota. Start off on the road against Minnesota. Um, and then uh, on a Thursday night, I think, it, I don't know if that's week zero or not. I didn't really look at it at that point. Sorry. All right. Um, so – all right, so that, that was all I had for Nebraska. But um, one, one other thing I just wanted to quickly mention that I had considered was uh, Jeff Brom over there in, uh, in Louisville. Um, initially, I thought that they had, uh, what was it, Malik Cunningham coming back when I first started looking at it. And it turned out he had, he had uh, declared. So... Kind of threw that out overall, but Jeff Brom, being the former coach at uh, at Purdue, and was able to do some things with his offense. I mean, that he was kind of you know that that candidate for a while, like with that high-powered offense, and you know, 
for as even be as exciting as he was at Purdue, like it was it was interesting. It was like you can't be interesting at Purdue unless you have uh, good boots. But <laughs> um, they they were able to bring in a decent amount of uh, transfer talent. Um, like I talked about before, their average ranking going out of transfers is a 64.52. The average player coming in was a 74.08, which, again, you know, not going to win you anything of substance, but it's going to make you more competitive um, overall. Um, but uh, their big get for them was Jeremy – might have – Jeremy Trash. I don't think that's what his name is. But, I, uh, no, I don't think that's his name. I think it <laughs> might – I'm trying to think. It's probably Thrash or something like that. Okay. Um, I'm not sure. He played at Georgia State, so nobody nobody watched him. But um, his <laughs> on four evaluation was 90. So, like, he – I mean, the, he can ball. So, that that is something. But um, that was my – that was my honorable mention this little bill with uh, Jeff Brown. Yeah. No, that's a good one. I – if Louisville can figure out quarterback, They've got the talent everywhere else to do something. Um, I do want to take a minute and kind of update y'all on the spring sports situation because you said we were going to talk about it, and I watched a good bit of all of the baseball games this weekend. So the baseball team started off pretty well. Opening weekend against the Jacksonville State Gamecocks. They went two and one, and that one game, uh, they tried to come back, and they couldn't. It the the last the issues from last season have carried over into this year, and it's pitching. Um, it starters, relievers, closers, they they've all got to step their game up. But what gives me the most hope is that the bats from last year have also carried over. I mean, Georgia scored nine, ten runs a few times this weekend, and the pitchers are, I would say they're like 80, 85% of the way to being very good. They just got to dial in that accuracy a little bit more. I mean, Jaden Woods was a great bullpen guy last year. And if he can dial in his accuracy and improve on some of his breaking balls, he will be that Friday starter like he was last week. But he'll be able to uh, take that spot in an elite way. Um, But the Diamond Dogs take on Princeton this Friday going into the weekend in Athens. Tickets are always fairly cheap and available if you want to go. But if you cannot... All the games are on ESPN Plus this year, which is really cool. It's all the uh, in-stadium radio broadcasts that are over the air on ESPN Plus, so it's awesome to watch that. Um, And the softball team dropped two this weekend to number 17, Stanford, one of those in extra innings, and then one to Charlotte. And their overall record is 7-3 and now. And the... Lady Diamond Dogs take on Clemson on Tuesday. And if you have ESPN Plus, you can watch that game there. And, um, yeah, so it looks like at the end you have you have something that you want to talk about because I had no idea this was even a thing. Yeah, I just – at the very last minute, like, as, you know, we 
you're about to come on. I saw I saw on um, saw our local news here that tomorrow in uh, the Georgia General Assembly, there's uh, three different bills or prop, uh, proposition or ideas that's going to be floated out there for sports gambling. Now we've we've had this you know false hope the last what three or four years that would have come. Oh, I think fall. it's been close to a decade. Yeah. Because at oh, one point they were talking about making, like they were talking about starting to build casinos around Georgia. There was one when right before we moved here to Savannah, they had, I, there was a, a proposition that it, you know when it would go through that they would build a um, build one in uh, Midway, so just south of us. But um, there's three different bills that that are they're going to discuss or talk about tomorrow. I love the He's excited. He loves gambling. <laughs> yeah, so, but that's it. I, I just thought that was that was uh, newsworthy. So we don't have to do offshore stuff anymore. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah, here. I I would love to not have to buy Bitcoin to transfer it to some shady website somewhere <laughs> to uh, to miss on all of my Super Bowl bets. Right. I mean, I ended up winning my Super Bowl bet, but then I, I pissed it away by betting on the Hawks the following day. So that was my fault. I, I should have got out of it. I don't know why. I wish the website I would use would put Georgia baseball games on there because yeah, they only do – it looks like they only do either like Power 5 games or in-conference games right now, and that kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Um, we talked about it each and every week. Instagram is at nothing.finer.pod. Twitter is at finerpod. Facebook group, just search us on Facebook. You'll find the group there. YouTube, same thing. Make sure it's got our logo on YouTube. Um, website is nothingfinerpod.com. Share the show with your friends. We are, um, I am trying to talk to some people about doing some cool stuff but the more the more audience we have the more um there's not a real good way to put it but the more weight we can throw around as far as like oh hey if we talk to you we can get you in front of this many people get what you're saying to you know x amount of people so share the show with your friends please and thank you if you haven't Give, a, give us a five-star rating on whatever you use to listen to us on. Um, I think that's it. So uh, always remember, guys, there is nothing finer in the land. Better drunk than Knox, you store your family. Go dogs. Third and mile, Duggan from the two will throw it all the way across the field. It's picked up by Bullardy. Bullard got it again. And Bennett to throw, lobs it to the right corner. There's McConkey. He got on his donkey and made a sliding catch in the right corner. Touchdown.